Might get a bit noisy, I'm about to put a log on the fire. Put a log on it. Hi, my name's Emily Chadbourne. And I'm Rochelle Fisher. And we're a couple of Xennials turning 40! Xennials are an often forgotten generation, sandwiched between the Gen X and the Millennials. Not quite one, but not quite the other either. We were brought up on Disney princesses, roller skates and Game Boys. Left to flounder through the grunge era of the 1990s and expected to catch up with tech life in the noughties, how prepared was the Xennial woman for the delights and disappointments of the current day? To celebrate our birthdays, Em and I decided to launch our own mini-series dedicated solely to issues that so many Xennial women face today. From egg freezing to ageing to being single, we have interviewed some amazing Xennials with stories to share. Enjoy this episode! Hello, Rochelle. Hello, Emily. I've missed you. No, I've been away from you for a whole weekend. I know. I felt like I had separation anxiety. Like Theodore. Yeah. I think it's the only time that we've not texted each other for yeah. like days. I've been camping in the bush for my 40th birthday. Whoop, whoop, whoop. I had a dress up party. How was that? It was great. What it did was... you go as? I went as the good witch from The Wizard of Oz. Just the witch? The good one. Did you dress up then? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it was excellent. The dress lit up and everything. Oh, cute. Yeah, it was awesome. Was that because you caught it on the um, campfire? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Emily's on fire. The roof this is on girl is on fire. Oh, that's such a brilliant song, isn't it? Is it? It's so empowering to women, don't you think? Yeah. And you're not, you're not in it. Just not. Not a massive fan of it. I love it. Well, I do love Alicia Keys, but I think that's like a throwback. Because Alicia Keys' first album, what was it called? It was so iconic and epic. And I just oh, remember listening yeah. to it over and over and over again. See, mine was Lauren Hill, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill. Yeah, that Hill. was also an excellent album. That was pivotal. Yeah, yeah, I actually went to see the 20-year anniversary of that a few years ago in um, Melbourne. Yeah, and I looked around thinking that I was still this 15-year-old and realised that everyone was almost 40. I love that, though. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I yeah. love going to age-appropriate gigs. <laughs> I went to see um, Porter Robinson. This is a couple of years back. Mm. And it was a good set, but it was just sounded like a DJ set. Like, and everybody was like 19 and off their tits. And me and my mates were like, oh, we're in our mid to late 30s. <laughs> and like, it's the Thursday, no one's really drinking. And then like four days later, I went to see Blur. Oh. And it was such a different yeah. experience. And, you know, Paul Robinson, it was good, but it was like listening to... Yeah. The CD of it, if you like. And You're they had. Sounding like a person in the 40s. Well, it's because I am now. <laughs> and they had like loads of special visual effects and stuff. Whereas watching Blur, <laughs> is that what they call them these days? Visual <laughs> effects and stuff? Whereas watching Blur was just these four dudes on stage yeah. 
like with nothing like it was just them and their instruments and it was just amazing everyone was 35 plus and like fully reminiscing and like really singing along and getting into it and I'm like that's the kind of gig I need to go to these days Blur was my first ever gig that I went to I was 14 with my best friend Nicola Jane Jennings and my mum and dad had dropped us off at Sheffield Arena and left us there so we were like really grown up because we were 14 and all by yourself all by ourselves thinking we were really cool and we must have just looked <laughs> like a wardrobe had vomited on us. Yeah, but everyone else looked like their wardrobe yeah. had vomited on them too. That was the great thing about the 80s. And Damon Albarn actually 90s. crowd surfed. Did you touch him? I didn't. No, you went that far down the front, were you? No, I was actually in the stalls on the sensible bit, but I still like to tell everyone. And he crowd surfed and I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I think my first live gig was Jamiroquai. This is the return of the Space Cowboy. I love Jamiroquai. Didn't yeah. he go out with Denise Van Elton? He did from Big Breakfast. Mm. Yeah. I used to be quite jealous of Denise Van Elton. Why? Because I just thought she was really cool. She was like the new wave of like the Ladette era. Do you remember? It was like Zoe Ball, yeah. Sarah Cox, Denise Van Elton. It was all about like laddie girls of the 90s. And I just used to think it was just really cool. Was and it I, Pulp that sang Girls Over Boys? No, that was Blur, my friend. Oh, was Blur, yeah. Can we edit that bit out? No, you <laughs> I said you went my... to the concert. <laughs> they went all around did some crowd surfing, but I can't remember the songs. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was so cool. Oh, dear. Were you Blur or were you Oasis? Well, I was only Blur because my brother was Oasis and because he was older than me, I... God forbid that I like the same music as him. Yeah. So secretly I loved Oasis, but I I was Blur all the way. Yeah, I think I was, I, I think I leant towards Blur a bit, a bit more. But, you know, there will always be a great, huge, massive part of my heart that is reserved for Oasis. Were you a Spice Girls fan? I mean, retrospectively, yes. But I think at the time, like a lot of people, when they first came out, I was like, this is teeny boppery shit and it's not going to last. And then kind of it became apparent that it was that they were always going to be culty, like it was always going to be a cult band. And that's when I think I jumped on board with them. But I never liked their music. I was never like, oh, I'm going to go and listen to Spice Girls today. (laughs) I didn't feel necessarily like inspired and girl powered by them. Did you not? No, I thought your commercial sellouts. And I even at the age of what when when was that? When was their first when did they drop <laughs> if the Spice Girls um, can drop? It was because I actually went to school with Melby's sister. Claim to fame. Cop. Second claim to fame of this podcast <laughs> episode. <laughs> I touched Damon Albarn. I went to school with Melby's sister and she they were just from down the road. So um it was I was at school ninety four, I think. Yeah, that's yeah. what I think too. And so ninety four I would have been what fourteen or 14, something. Fourteen, fifteen, yeah. And even then I don't think I looked at them and went, Wow, that's really powerful. I think I looked at them and went, You just you look manufactured and you've probably been manufactured by a man. That was honestly what I thought at the age of 14. I didn't feel empowered by them. I think later on they started empowering women more. 
than when they first came out. But then again, they've always been a bit manufactured, haven't they? You know, the whole... Yeah, I've, I've, I've never... Specs. I'm not inspired by any of them, I don't think. Mel C, ironically, is probably the one. I listened to her on a podcast interview, which actually I think you'd really like this series, Table Manners. Oh. So Table Manners is by Jessie Ware. She's a musician. And her hmm. mum... Oh, I've heard of this. Yeah. And they have a chat. Yes. They bring someone around to their house and they cook them dinner. And the kind of theme is what food has evoked in your life or like memories that it evokes. And so they have a conversation that is themed around food. And Mel C was on mm. Table Manners. And she was actually really interesting. She genuinely understands music, I think. She That's... ended up doing a DJ set, and I actually went to see her do a DJ set. First <laughs> claim to fame, oh, racking could, them up. I could give you an Oasis claim to fame as well. Go on then. Well, I could give you a few claim to fames, but I can't because that would be breaking patient confidentiality. Has this got anything to do with Noel Gallagher? <laughs> Maybe. Are you going to tell me what your Oasis claim to fame is? We used to treat the guitar technician for Noel Gallagher. <laughs> Wow. I have touched Oasis Let by me proxy. touch you. <laughs> so many claim to fames. Why were we talking about this? How did we even get onto this topic of conversation? All I can sing now is Alicia Keys. I keep on falling in and out of love with you. Are you declaring love for me right now? No, more so Alicia Keys. So, also, just really quickly before we jump onto whatever we're going to talk about next, because we have not planned this episode, I don't know if the listeners can tell, um, but if you can hear a weird crackling noise in the background, we're at Rochelle's and the fire's on. That's why we started talking about fire, I think. This girl is on fire. And then empowering women. I think you're an empowered woman and you love empowering women. Yes. So who is your your go-to? You know, it's really interesting. I mean, there are lots of women that I admire, but I think I found them in my adult life. I don't remember as a young girl ever feeling like I was less than for being a woman. I don't know if that's because I had three, uh, because I was one of three sisters. Definitely. I guess I was always aware that I could do anything that I wanted to do. I think my parents raised me to believe that I could do anything that I wanted to do. And I've never worked in an industry where I have felt like I'm on the back foot because I'm a woman. And I'm very aware that that is a privileged thing to say. And I'm very aware that I'm quite an anonymally, anonymally? that I'm not the norm in that. Like I worked in hospitality, there was no men got paid more than you, there was no you're being promoted because you're a man and you're not because you're a woman. Like that, I didn't have that experience. So I don't think I've ever felt like I had to look to someone to prove that I could do something because I was a woman. However, having said that, I'm very aware that there have been so many women before me who have paved the path for the version of equality that I have experienced. And I know we're not there and I know we've got a long way to go and I'm absolutely behind the movement. Like I'm as feminist as they come. Like I would say for me, my grandma is a very strong, powerful woman. Oh yeah, no, my um, grandma was a feminist before I knew what a feminist was. Grandma left her husband in the 60s. Which, oh wow. You know, wow, go, go grandma. 
and has lived a wonderful life and worked really hard and you know been an independent woman so for me she's my icon she's the mm -hmm. person that I look up to and go wow she did it through an era an era yeah yeah where it wasn't the norm now you say that my um my grandma Hilda she was without doubt the matriarch of my family but also mm. proved to me I suppose unconsciously I suppose I didn't really have conscious awareness of it I think that's the difference, isn't it? I never looked at her and went, wow, grandma's doing that so I can do anything that I want. It was just like, here is a, a demonstration which is so in my subconscious that I've never questioned, mm -hmm. can I do this because I'm a woman or not? She worked her entire life because she wanted to, not because she had to. And yeah, she, she was a phenomenal woman, great manager of people. And my auntie, actually, my auntie Jean, who's also my godmother, she was... Um, a very, very successful doctor in a world where men were doctors and women were nurses. And yeah, yeah I, I guess that was also sort of demonstrated to me. But I, again, I don't, yeah, I, in terms of like icons, out, like in terms of popular culture and stuff, I don't really think I ever looked at anyone and thought, wow, that woman is demonstrating to me. I think there's, there are a lot more of them now. I think I can look at all sorts of women these days and be like, yeah, you inspire me. Yeah, I, I love the way that woman stands up for her rights. I love the way that woman articulates her experience. There's so many women doing some amazing things at the moment. I'm 100% behind them and I'm a huge believer in women supporting women. Mm. Um, but I don't remember ever having that feeling when I was a kid. You know, we can't remember as children, like looking up to a woman and feeling really empowered. But, you know, now there's Instagram and Facebook and all these like realities and, and yeah. yeah you know like the kardashians and everything like my niece is 14 and she looks up to the kardashians and it's that's really hard isn't it because on one hand i'm like how awesome like the, they are phenomenal businesswomen i don't think you can deny no that you know to become a billionaire on whoever's coattails and with whatever privilege is also a phenomenal mm. achievement to become a billionaire in your own right. Yeah. And so as much as I can mock them and I have a certain amount of disdain for them, if I'm going to be completely <laughs> honest, you can't deny that they are, no. you know, owning life in, in that particular way in terms of making money and marketing themselves. And they have totally worked out how to use social media and how to take the word influencer and really run with it. Mm. You can't deny that. So in a lot of ways, they're really empowering. Yeah. In but. a lot of ways, <laughs> I, I guess, for me, I guess it comes down to, like, are you being good? Are you being kind? Are you being ethical? Are you thinking about what you're doing and how you're presenting yourself? And I will never, ever, ever be able to get over an episode of The Kardashians, probably one of the only five or six that I've ever watched, where they had a bitch fight. Like, physically, oh. the two sisters hit each other. Gross. And I thought, I don't have children, but I don't want my nieces to watch that and think that that's acceptable behaviour. That is not okay. And uh, this high drama, this manufactured, produced drama that is being sold as real life is, I think, the opposite of empowering. I think it's selling your soul I think it's demonstrating some really shitty behavior for cash and I don't think that's okay I think at some point you've got to turn around and, and kind of like ask yourself 
am I doing good for humanity in the work that I'm doing? And I don't think that bitching about your friends and bitching about each other and pretending whether you're not whether or not they're pretending I don't know like I don't know how real real life tv is I, I suspect most of it's heavily produced and scripted mm. but I don't think that that is anything to look up to no no I mean I've never watched an episode of the Kardashians but when I was younger I was obsessed with like Big Brother and yeah oh what was the other one Big Brother was the original I mean, and I remember yeah. watching Big Brother before I went to uni it was on the summer before I started university Nice. And I was obsessed by it because it was the very first one in the UK when no one was in there for fame. It was a social experiment. The people mm. who responded to the advert thought it was a social experiment and not a claim to, a fame. Claim to fame. So I remember like the runner up was a nun. Craig oh, the yeah. Builder was oh, the, the winner. He was the scouser, yeah. wasn't he? And the best thing about that series was when they came out, when they, you know, as they were sort of leaving the house every single week, they came out expecting to have, like, their family and maybe, like, three or four people hanging around behind the barrier, and there were these crowds and crowds and crowds, and they were kind of suddenly instantly famous. Yeah. And it was such a shock to them. And I really enjoyed that episode because it wasn't about how can we manipulate these people into being aggressive or being bitchy, or it wasn't about that at all. It was about the social experiment of having a group of people in a house with no outside influence, what happens? And so it was It was really had like this psychological slant to it, which completely disappeared by series two. And then they just went and found the most outrageous people that they could, mm. threw them in a house and made them do weird things. I still watched it for a few seasons, but it changed almost instantly the moment that Channel 4 realised that they could make a fuck ton of money from it and that people wanted now to go on to be famous. And that was before Instagram, it was before anyone had social media. Thank mm. God there wasn't social media when I was at university. <laughs> fuck me. But, you know, people weren't... It, it being sort of Insta-famous, and I don't mean necessarily like Instagram, I mean like just famous mm. overnight, you needed to do something of that sort of high publicity in order to make that happen. Whereas now... You can become influencer famous relatively quickly if you really want to make that happen. Do a yourself. cool TikTok video. Yeah. Shall we make a TikTok video? Nah. It's interesting to see how reality TV has shifted from when we were, what, 19, 20, when Big Brother first came out. Yeah, was, we were 18, I think. It was like yeah. 2000. Yeah. Yeah. And then into like Love Island bachelor do you know the thing that really upsets me about those particular programs and i really don't i try really hard not to be the sort of person like i don't watch bachelor i don't watch love island but you know what i don't fucking watch bachelor and i don't watch maths and i don't watch love island and here's why i think we need to be really aware that what we see we will accept as truth like there is a part of your brain we call it the subconscious that does not know the difference between what is real and what is not real it's why you cry at the movies. Mm. It's why when someone tells you a story, you have empathy. You can feel their story. It's because there is a part of you that doesn't understand what is real and what is not real. And so it's all very well and good saying, oh, it's just a TV programme. It doesn't, it doesn't affect anything. It doesn't influence anyone. It fucking does. Yeah. You are saying to young, impressionable girls who are 14, 15, 16, 17, in order to get a guy, 
you've got to get bitchy with all these other girls and you all have to vie for his attention and the one who wins is the winner at life. That's basically the premise. That is the the fundamental premise of Bachelor. It's like going back to a schoolyard. It's horrendous. Maths, awful. Oh. Like, we are demonstrating, hey, it's okay for you to gaslight each other. It's okay for you to be verbally abusive to each other. I don't want to live in a world where it's okay to be verbally abusive to each other. And yet we're showing it on television, and I don't know what's gonna to happen to the next generation that come mm. up watching that day in, day out, and then they go onto Instagram and they filter themselves, and they're watching influencers live lives which aren't even real. Like, I think there's gonna be mass damage to the psyche of humanity, and I don't see anybody trying to do anything about that. I don't see any government, I don't see, any politician going, oh, should we be showing this? Because it's fucking awful. And I'm also not saying, well, you know, we should be censoring what people watch. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I don't, I think somewhere along the line, someone's got to turn around and go, this is not okay. And I think the only people that are going to do that are the consumers. Like, I know a lot of people who go, oh, I know it's terrible, but I watch it anyway. Stop fucking watching Watching it. it. It's like, oh, I know... I shouldn't be buying fast fashion. Stop fucking buying it. Because as a consumer, we have so much power. These TV shows are only being made because we're consuming them. These clothes are only being made because we're consuming them. McDonald's is only being made because we're consuming it. We actually have full power and autonomy over ourselves to turn around and go, actually, this isn't the society that I want to live in. I don't think that this shit should be pumped into every single fucking home in Australia at Mm. prime time so that anybody, including children who are so impressionable, can watch this and we're selling it to them as real life. Yeah. Like, turn that fucking shit off. Surely you've got something better to do with your time. And I'm not calling anyone out. I don't mean to make anyone feel bad if they enjoy watching trashy TV. I love trashy TV. I've just spent the last hour and a half watching episode after episode of Parks and Recreation. But you know what? That's about somebody who is doing good for her community. And mm. yes, it's funny and yes, it's satirical, but it, it's not its not awful human no. behaviour being played out. No, I completely agree and you couldn't have said it better, really. Yeah, when does it stop? And when, when does it stop? When does it stop? That's the scary thing. And I was speaking with my brother because he's got a 14-year-old daughter and he just said they just don't communicate like we do. And he said it's really heartbreaking. They're just on these devices all the time. Yeah. Um, Watching other people live their lives or watching YouTube clips or watching... And again, like to wrap it back back to the Kardashians, you know, their selling power is so huge. And some of the shit that they sell is bollocks. Yeah. Like skinny tea or teeth whitening or fake hair. And you're like... Like, use your power for good. Like, well done for getting to where you've got to, but you've got to be looking at how you got there. Hey, um, kids, this is how we recycle. Hey, kids, this is how we're kind to each other. Yeah. Hey, kids, we actually sit and read books. Yeah. Hey, kids, you're beautiful the way you are. I remember listening to one of your podcasts, and it's something that, I go back to a lot and it really resonated with me. And you said, I am so careful what I feed my body and I'm not talking about food. And it was just like this, bam, like someone had literally whacked me over the head, 
today I had to do a lot of things on social media and do a lot of emails and I had a headache by the end of it I didn't I was really aware how much I was on my phone mm. but you know if you go to read something or you're hearing something it's like actually I don't want to feed my brain that it's what's happening subconsciously that's really important because consciously you can be like oh here's this really pretty person living this picture postcard life and I know it's probably not real I know it's really filtered but subconsciously especially if you're not aware and if you don't give yourself the time to really sit in self-awareness which I'm gonna be honest a lot of people don't you are telling yourself you're comparing yourself and you're telling yourself I'm not as pretty I'm not as thin I'm not as you know or my life doesn't doesn't look like that and therefore I am less than I am not as worthy as I think you've got to question where we're at as a society when mental health is in such a state at the moment mm -hmm. and yes of course there is heightened aware awareness of it thankfully because we're talking about it more but there's heightened awareness of it because there is more of it I think and you know my granny without doubt had some mental health problems, not my grandma or my granny, mm. um, without doubt had mental health problems that were completely undiagnosed because it wasn't diagnosed back in the day. So certainly mm. we live in a time where we can openly or we are getting better at openly talking about it, so of course there are more cases. But, you know, I, I don't see that we are a particularly happy society as a general rule. And we're consuming more than we've ever consumed. We're more comfortable than we've ever been. We're safer, arguably safer, than we've ever been in the history of humanity. And yet, we're not happy. And I think that's, to an extent, to do with reality TV and social media. And I don't think we feel like we own, our, we own ourselves anymore in that. I think we feel like we're, we're governed by... TV, we're governed by consumerism, we're governed by materialism. We are told what is where our worth lies by an influencer that we've never fucking met. Mm. And I think that's a unique experience that we've never had to sort of traverse through before, and I think we're finding it hard as a collective. Yeah. I think we live in a culture that glorifies being busy. Yeah, that's a scary one, isn't it? Yeah. I realised it more when I came to Australia. I came to Australia to have more of a work-life balance. And I've realised over the last few years, it's like, well, you know, if you want to be important and you want to be someone big, then you've got to be busy. And it's like, mm. no. Yes, and it's also not true. I don't work a lot. Well, we know that. I re like, I really don't. I, but you work hard when you do work. I You're work productive. hard and I'm focused and yeah. I'm productive and... And I'm quite mindful with my time because I spend a lot of time meditating, journaling, mm. sitting in self-reflection, and I know myself well. Yeah, That's how I can be productive. But we don't give um, credit to that. No. We don't think it's important to wake up in the morning. Like how many times do you hear people say, oh, I just don't have the time to exercise, or meditation's the first thing that goes out the window. I'm like, I couldn't do the rest of my life. Like, everything else goes out the window if I don't have... Physical exercise, meditation, and sleep. Like, those three things to me, I just, I can't, I don't function well without them. They are the most important parts of my productivity. Meditation, exercise, and sleep. Yeah. I was working, and a girl actually said to me, if you don't do 15 hours a day, 
and show that you're always here, then you're not going to make it to the top and someone's going to come in and, and take your job off you. I mean, seriously, is that the society that we're living That's in? so 1980s working girl. Obviously, I don't work there anymore. I hope for the Gen Zs and the generation beneath them that that will change. Um, and I think one of the great things about the internet is that there are all sorts of ways that you can earn a lot of money and not have that and not trade your time for money. Mm. So I think it is changing. I think we got caught up in that. I think that was the backlash for us. Yeah. That was definitely our parents' generation. The boomers had that kind of mentality, which is you trade your time for your money, and the more time you trade, the more money you'll earn, therefore the more successful you'll be. And I think we are definitely in the wake of that. But I really think in the next couple of generations that that might shift. Unfortunately, I think... Right now, for a lot of people, they're thinking all I need to do is become an influencer. Yeah. <laughs> or get myself on a reality TV show and then I can make easy money. And, and don't I'll, do that, kids. And that, that's also not the way either. No. Don't sell your soul. No. So, all things women, all things empowering. I really would like to hear our next guest, Dina. Dina's story is a very empowering one because... The reason that she chose to freeze her eggs was less about freezing her eggs so that she could have children and more about ownership of her own timeline and her own body. And that, I thought, was a really inspirational message. So we'll have a listen. So today I have the great pleasure of interviewing, she's a member of The Hub actually, which is really, really wonderful. It's so nice to have someone on the inside, so to speak, chat with us about this particular topic today. So I'd like to introduce you to Dina. Now, Dina, like I said, member of The Hub and also a Xennial. So currently 39, is that right, Dina? Yes. 39 years old and the reason that I have invited Dina to come and talk today is that you have had experience in egg freezing. So number one thank you for being here and thank you for speaking your story so bravely and courageously with me today. It really does help other women to hear experiences that are similar to theirs. So I'd love to start with what the circumstances were around you making the decision to freeze your eggs. Yeah, of course. Firstly, I just want to say thank you so much for offering me this amazing opportunity. Um, You're welcome. I love your podcasts. (laughs) I've written like notes on all of them. Like as I'm listening, I'm like taking notes because they're so relevant and awesome and hearing other women's stories. So it's an absolute honor. And um, I hope that my story, like sharing it will help um, women like, you know, think about things. So yeah, it's such a pleasure. My circumstances. So I was in a long-term relationship, 15 years, and I decided to end the relationship after a hard slog of trying to make it work. And one of the contributing factors, there were obviously quite a few, leading to the relationship breakdown was that, well, we'd been together for 15 years and we were engaged and it was like, okay, my friends were starting to have babies. You know, we should be thinking about babies. And even though our relationship is like completely and utterly busted, I'll still think about it. So that was when I first started to think about egg freezing because I thought, you know, if I'm not ready now with my partner, like, you know, we will be in a few years and just in case. 
he felt a little bit differently and that was one of the things that led to some arguments that we had basically when we did break up I was like shit there's a lot of things I don't know right now like there was obviously a massive change and one of the things I worried about was meeting someone and then obviously my fertility yeah how old were you when the two of you split up 36 and you know I'm like I know you talk about this a lot in the hub and on your podcast, this idea of these kind of um, the influences that we have in our lives, like our friends, our families, social conditioning, all that sort of stuff. Like I really, really felt it like in terms of like tick, tick, tick. All right, honey, time to get those eggs done. You know, like Mm. time, you know, and like, God bless my family. Like they're so supportive, but they were like, you really should do this. Just get it done. Some of my friends were like, just freeze your eggs. You'd be like, now that you're not in a relationship, just do it. And I did, I sort of went down that path and started looking into it. And it just wasn't the right time for me. Like I'd literally just been single for like two months and I wanted to just enjoy my singlehood, which included, you know, drinking and you know partying and having fun totally yeah going out and reclaiming your youth a little bit it's sort of part of the breakup process isn't it yeah absolutely and I think it's really interesting part like when I was reflecting on it before this conversation was this idea of timing you know and at that time like you know two months after the breakup I wasn't ready there was pressure externally and internally, like, come on, Dina, like, you know, your biological clock's ticking. It, it just wasn't the right time for me. I wanted to have fun. So two years later, COVID, pandemic. I mean, oh, no one's going out, to be fair. We weren't going out, right? We weren't going out. And there was so much uncertainty for all of us around so many things. I was single and didn't have a relationship. And obviously, like, we couldn't date. Didn't know about work. Didn't know about relationship. Like, I'm getting older when's this pandemic ever going to end? And I just felt like nothing's working for me. Like, you know, I've been in my job for like three years and like, this is the third like career that I've tried and this isn't working and I'm never going to have a boyfriend and I can't find anyone and that's not working. And then my eggs, like I'm getting older, like, you know, all of that sort of stuff. And then I was like, there's a lot of things I can't control. The pandemic's one, (laughs) but I can control freezing my eggs because there is anxiety for me around time progressing and my fertility declining as we see and hear everyone talks about it. You know, when we're at our age, I feel like, I don't know if it's because I became more aware of it, but it felt like everyone was talking about it. I think it's definitely, and and it's, to be fair, people are talking about it because it's true, but it is, it is a conversation that comes up time and time again. Even when I go and see my GP, even if it's like, oh, by the way, I've got something wrong with my pinky finger. Somehow the question gets posed or the conversation comes around to, do I want to have children? Because do I know how old I am? I'm like, I'm very aware of my own age. You know, I speak about it with my friends who've had babies and around pregnancy and breastfeeding and all of it. And women's fertility generally, I feel like this is like, it's not like sacred or anything. It's like, it's in the public domain almost. Mm. It's like. Everyone's got an opinion. Everyone. It's like, this is my body and this has literally got nothing to do with you. Even my dad would ask me, <laughs> it's like, darling, you don't even have a uterus. Like, like I get that you love me and you care for me, but 
nobody understands, I think, unless you're in the position, what it's like to be asked by acquaintances, friends, strangers about your fertility. It's like, that is so sacred. You might as well, for me, I think you might as well just be asking me to show you my vulva. Like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, it's just, it's like literally none of your business. Like, it, it, and it ties into this idea of being judged. Yes. It is impossible for anyone to almost strike up a conversation about fertility without judgment getting involved. And sometimes it's our own perceived judgment. Yes. It's not even necessarily judgment that is delivered in the question. It's just our interpretation mm. of the judgment because of the wider conversation in society yeah. at the moment, I think, about women having children later or choosing not to have children yeah. at all. Yes. And I think it's also other people's anxieties and other people's like concerns that they then put onto you. I think that's, you know, can be said about most things, but fertility in particular, because there's this window, this magical window. Did you feel like a commodity when you went through the process of freezing your eggs? No, not at all. The, the people that helped me along my journey, the doctors and the um, they offered fertility counselling um, and the counsellor was so amazing and the nurses and everyone were so lovely. I really felt like this was the thing that I was doing for me because I knew what my reasons were and I did a lot of research and listened to lots of other podcasts and I didn't feel like a commodity because I knew that the reason I was doing it was purely for my own self. Like it wasn't to please anyone it was to give me a chance to just say it's okay darling you've got some eggs in the freezer <laughs> don't worry about it it was it's like this is one less thing you have to worry about for the next few years do you feel like you've given yourself permission to live a little bit more freely and make your decisions a little bit more slowly now you've kind of feel like you've bought yourself some time M, like 100 percent and yeah. only on reflecting about this podcast with you did I realise that. I'm not sure whether I want to have children. I don't know. I might never want to. And that is perfectly okay. I'm okay with either way. Like, I've just never been a person to make a choice or a decision like when everyone else does. It takes me time. It takes me time. So for me, time and having this idea of extra time really like allayed a lot of my anxiety around it and it made me feel like it was during COVID so it was like this is the perfect opportunity for me to take some time for myself and if this is causing me a lot of anxiety and worry I'm just going to do this for me like I'm going to eat so healthy for three months I'm not going to drink for three months I'm going to take all the vitamins I'm going to exercise and then at the end I have something for me how did you find the process of having your eggs harvested and then frozen? I like, again, the support around it was unbelievable from the doctor to the nurses. Everyone was so incredible through each step of the process. I knew what to expect. The process itself was great. Like, like I felt really good. I, well, I felt good because I was looking after myself and my body. Mm. Like I felt really healthy. And again, Em, I think because it was like, why am I doing this? I'm doing yeah. this for me. And it was literally, it was an act of like enormous self-love. Yeah, how empowering. Yeah, totally. As opposed to, let's say, when I went, when I'd just broken up with my partner and it was like, shit, quick, 
get oh la, 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 la. I better do this you know I've just broken up with my partner I don't know if I'm gonna it was just wasn't right whereas you know when I chose to go actually and start doing it it was like this is all about me and looking after my body and giving myself time if I choose to and maybe not and obviously it doesn't guarantee that you're gonna like the you know the eggs might all die when they're defrosted like that's mm. you know but it's not about that I can't even expect it's not even about having a child it's just about having a little bit of agency over my own beautiful body and my beautiful ovaries and my beautiful eggs having agency over that and I think that's really important, especially with what's going on at the moment. I mean, for God's sake, like, look at what's even going on in the Australian government. Like, women aren't being treated equally. And it's like, wow, catch up, guys. Like, <laughs> Catch up, guys. It is time that women reclaimed agency over their own bodies and over the, yes. the narratives and the stories around reproduction. Mm-hmm. 100%. And that's what it was for me. And it felt bloody great. And when I was in hospital after the procedure and they came and they were like you know we've harvested this many eggs I was so proud I had this like biggest grin on my face I was like it doesn't matter if it's no eggs if it's one egg if it's two eggs like they're like you know this is the number that you should aim for and I was like you know what it doesn't matter whatever happens my body is going to do what it needs to do and I'm proud of it like I'm proud that I didn't completely lose my shit even though I was injecting myself with hormones you know like was that hard um the hormonal imbalance so I've I've obviously I've never done it myself yeah yeah so that was my main concern was the hormones how it would affect my mood because I have existing mental health issues I was a bit worried about that so I'll just start with the injecting part was easy as the injections, the needles are tiny. Like then that's not the scary part. I think what happened was with the hormones, once they collected the eggs and my body was just like, what have you just done to me? <laughs> like, I was like, wow. My body was like, I'm not happy. So for like a week after the eggs were collected, I felt rubbish, mm. like premenstrual, so bloated. I looked pregnant, Em, as in like I looked really like bloated and I felt awful. So I was actually expecting to be feeling that sort of whilst taking the hormone. So it surprised me that it happened after. But again, I had loads of support around that. Like the nurse was, would call me from the clinic. I had the ther- like the counsellor as well and my GP. So I was sort of like just surprised at the timing but I was expecting that. But apart from that, everything else was great. Oh, I mean, you do have to take like 20 vitamins a day. But yeah. I mean, I was like taking stuff that I couldn't even pronounce a name of. I'm like, what even is this for? But it's all to like get your eggs the healthiest they can. But I felt mm. good. It's really lovely to hear somebody who's had such a positive experience, not mm. just in the outcome but also in the process of it as well and I think what I've really loved touching on in this interview with you is that actually it's less about I'm freezing my eggs so that I can have a baby later and it's more Mm. about I'm freezing my eggs to take a bit more authority over my own reproductive system yeah hell yeah And, and now I can enjoy being 39 without feeling the pressure of but if I'm gonna have a baby it's got to happen in the next two years absolutely hell yeah and yeah that's exactly what it is it's I love myself. I'm not in any rush. I'm just going to do this and then we'll see what happens. 
Right. I've got a couple more questions to ask you. Not egg baby or any kind of reproductive kind of theme to them. But I think they're interesting questions nonetheless. What is your fondest memory from the 1980s? It could be a trend or music or fashion or a TV program. Okay, this is the hardest. These questions were so hard. I was like, one thing. Are you joking? I can't think of one thing. Oh, my God. Firstly, let me just say I love the 80s. Like the fashion, I'm still obsessed with. Shoulder pads, love. Um, When I thought about like this question, I thought I have to mention growing up, with my two older sisters and my eldest sister was obsessed with brosts. My cousin was so obsessed with brosts. When will I, will I I be famous? I can't answer that. I can't answer. Still quality, quality music that stood the test of time in my opinion. Right, but like, and this is another thing. I love that music from the eighties. I can't like, you know, and early nineties. I just love it. I just, every time I listen to a Eurythmic song, like Sweet (laughs) Dreams or, um, or any of them, my like right shoulder just starts pumping. The Breakfast Club I watched like in the late eighties, early nineties, literally am, I'm not joking, every weekend for like two years. We had it on VHS. I I think I can still remember the adverts. What has been your biggest difference between turning 30 and then turning 40? When I turned 30, I, my best friend in the whole world reminded me of this last night because I said, oh, these are the questions. What am I going to say? I've got to, you know, like help me work this out because these are such great questions. And she's like, oh, remember you were going through your Saturn return when you were 30. I was like, oh my God. It was so full on rediscovering myself, thinking like, who am I? Like, what am I? What do I want? Where am I going? Like, it was enormous but really exciting. I love a chance at personal growth. And of course I have like, I bought all the books on Saturn return and read them diligently. Um, it was bloody hard work. Um, not knowing where, where I, where I really was in my life mm. as opposed to now I feel a lot more in my authenticity. And I, you know, when I was saying this to my best friend last night, she said, oh, you know, you've worked really hard to get there. And that's, you know, it doesn't just happen. I think where I am now feels so good because I've done the work and it's paying off. I can fully trust myself and I can trust my own wisdom. This probably leads into our last question, which is what has been your greatest life lesson to date? Take your time. (laughs) Take your time. You don't have to keep up with everybody to be worthy. That is such sage advice. Because we live in a culture, don't we, where the opposite of that is often peddled to us. It's like, get ahead, get there quickly, hack your way to the top, hustle hustle your way to the top of the queue. Whereas actually there is such wisdom to be learned and experiences to be had in the gap between where you are and where you are going. And I think you're right. Like we value rushing. We value busyness. We value what we see as what's successful. Like what you spoke, I'll never forget a podcast that I listened to. It's like, what, what do you define as success? Mm. And I remember walking Frankie in the park, my dog and like listening and one of the things you said was having a good belly laugh every day. Mm. And I was like, damn, Emily's got the goods. You are just <laughs> so wise and so awesome. And I was like, 
if I can have a good belly laugh a day, then I'm winning. So thank you for your wisdom and help along my journey because it's been so, so precious. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you so much for sharing with us so candidly and honestly and really refreshingly. And I know heaps of other women will really have gotten so much out of you sharing your story. So thank you so much. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you for everything that you do for all of us. We are sending so much love. Thanks, darling. How awesome is Dina? She's amazing. I have met her before when we've gone on a dog walk. Yeah, she lives around the corner from me. She's got a bump into her all the time. Her dog Frankie and Theodore love each other. Yeah, she's just got beautiful energy. Mm. And I love how she's just taken complete ownership of her body. Mm. I think she used the word autonomy. Yeah. And that's why I wanted to use that particular interview because it's less about oh my God, I'm panicking that I'm going, getting too old to have children. And and I'm not saying that, you know, I, I know a lot of people who've had their eggs frozen and it's given them a huge amount of reassurance and it has made them feel like they've bought a little bit of time back and it's given them a better attitude towards dating. They don't feel so much time pressure. Um, although, you know, absolutely freezing your eggs is not a guarantee no. for having a baby. But, you know... What I loved about Dina is that it actually wasn't even about having a baby necessarily. It was more about taking back, like you said, that sort of ownership yeah. of her own timeline and of her own body. Yeah, I really loved it. Yeah. Because um, I actually do know some people who've had their eggs frozen in a, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm panicking, I'm panicking. Um, and while I understand that, not I, I don't understand it I can appreciate it I don't understand it because that's not my feeling I appreciate that that's definitely how some people have felt um is that an empowering thing or not you yeah. almost had your eggs frozen didn't you? I did yeah a few years ago I really thought about it because I was I think it was a bit of now or never mm. I was probably 38 and I actually spoke to my brother about it because he's got a kid and I'm like thinking about freezing my eggs and he was like go for it I think you should really do it and then in the end I just thought how much do I really want it yeah and I think maybe I did go into that not huge panic but what if I meet someone and and I've never been desperate for children but what if I meet someone and it's too late Mm. so again maybe taking ownership of that well then there maybe is a chance but yeah I looked into it and then to be completely honest I just thought it's too much hard work for me yeah and I didn't want it to overtake my body and the not drinking and everything else that goes with it and just pumping your body with so many hormones I mean I'm psycho when I'm coming on my period so I think you would have had to cage me. Mm. Something that that's what frightened me of how it would affect me short term, not long term. Yeah. So I didn't do it, but I what a wonderful story for Dina. And mm. um I love that she's just taken back her life. Yeah. Yeah. Go Dina. Go Dina. I guess as well, we have been brought up to believe that you can have it all and that means 
spending your entire twenties being kind of irresponsible and not irresponsible, but you know, like not necessarily settling down, like spending your twenties being on adventures and trying lots of different jobs and traveling to your boyfriends and traveling in India. (laughs) (laughs) And whilst that's wonderful and amazing, you know, the reality of the situation is our biological clocks age. I watched a TED talk once, which I'll try and find again and link in the show notes if I can. And it was about how you shouldn't just piss away your 20s. And the reason that we are in this fertility crisis at the moment as women is because we are being sold this idea that we can have it all. I believe that we should be able to have it all, but I don't think that that means by pushing your fertility to its very limit, I actually think that means that we need to change systematically how we work, how women are paid, how we structure the corporate world I think that's where the change needs to take Mm. place so that I can have a kid at 28 and still be fucking CEO yeah not I have to try and get to CEO and then the last minute when I'm 38 39 and reproductively challenged now try and squeeze out a baby so that I can have it all that's how I view it at the moment yeah I agree with you and I think, and I'll go back to an episode that we talked about a while ago about the contraceptive pill. We take it and we're not thinking of the long-term yeah, effects. I agree. Because we live in an Instagram society of everything is instant and we're in this short-term gratification. We're also wired like that genetically and biologically. Yeah. We, are desi- we are wired for survival and survival is what do I need to do in this particular instant this moment right here right now go on Instagram and thrive yeah absolutely it's why we know that smoking kills us but we do it because the stress the instant stress relief yeah feels like more of a payoff than living past 60 without cancer you know like we are such strange wonderful creatures but we're not designed for long-term gratification we're designed for short-term gratification and so it's easy to make decisions that feel good today instead of decisions that might be right for us in the long run. All the women independent, throw your hands above me. Is it with me or above me? Well, it's always say around me. Oh. <laughs> Ask Beyonce, get her on the phone. Actually, Larry's met Beyonce. Oh, of course you've got a Beyonce story. <laughs> we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Unashamedly 40 a special short series briefly interrupting my Unashamedly Human podcast. If you've loved this episode, please share it with your mates, rate and review, and head to the show notes to get in touch. Thanks for listening.